0: start a new series today that will help us to both remove hindrances to and then facilitate our living the life of elevation that God meant for us to live. I want to talk to you for the next several weeks about soul detox. You're familiar with detox and you are you have heard of detox programs. And next Sunday I'll talk about soul detox. And from this perspective, toxic thoughts and how to flush the junk for good. We'll talk about toxic emotions, control them before you lose control. Toxic words, speaking life instead of death. I'm doing this in a specific order, too, because your thoughts are what end up controlling your emotions. And oftentimes these thoughts were were initiated... And these emotions created by words that somebody told you. That you, in turn, will end up telling somebody else. Old saying sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. You believe that? I've got oceanfront property in the state of Idaho I'd like to talk to you about. We're gonna talk about toxic faith, the bitter fruit of bad religion, toxic relationships. That whenever we have toxic emotions and toxic thoughts that we end up getting into, even good relationships can become toxic. And we're going to talk about toxic parents. Now, the last one, I've decided to bring in someone. I was in a conference, and um, some of you are familiar with Natasha Grabick. She used to use her name Vermock. She's using her maiden name now. She's a prophetic voice and, and she is incredibly gifted. Sometimes prophetic people talk at a level here and they think you know what, and so they don't always connect. This particular subject that Natasha talked on, though, I thought was one of the most insightful and brilliant I've ever been in. And she talked about forgiving your parents. I'm telling you, when she got through, God, have mercy there were people sobbing and weeping for literally for hours that got rid of stuff and broke through things and I've asked her to come in and do that Sunday for us this is going to be I want you to turn and look at your neighbor and say this series will change our lives would you do that I might also mention just because I want to see you help that a week a little over a week ago I was on the internet Researching for this, and I think you know that I prepare all of this at least a year in advance, and um, pray about get the word of God for ch- the church for at least a year in advance. I already know what the thing for next year will be, and uh, not not saying that arrogantly. It's just a, a, I'm at a point, and le- a leader can't wake up in the morning and figure out what needs to be fixed. He better he better know what's going on. And close enough to the heart of things to know what God's trying to say about his church. And this church, the, the priest wore the breastplate over his chest, his heart, with 12 stones. Each one of those, the names, the tribes of Israel. And that's where I carry this congregation in my heart. And um, the, I was on the internet just researching, doing some additional research, and I ran across a book that was entitled Soul Detox by Craig Rochelle. I haven't ordered it, I haven't read it yet, but I intend to, and I would recommend it because Craig's a well-known speaker and author. I bet it's got some good stuff. I had actually intended to write a book on this myself, and now found out there's one already out there, so if that will help supplement what we're going to be doing, I want to recommend it, and I'm, I'm mentioning that to you because this series to me, if you were to ask me what is the single greatest Need that believers have it is the subject i 'm about to address now. A pastor years ago, I was very young, he was only you know ten years fifteen years, twenty years older that fifteen years older than than me, and I was very young told me that he had been in a car going to a conference with some older ministers who were there in their sixties and seventies, and as they were driving to the conference, they asked the question, the oldest minister there did guys. What's the hardest thing that you've ever had to teach believers? And one offered this and another that and another this. And he said, he, kept, he said, I kept my mouth shut. I was the young guy in the car. And I didn't have the experience. These fellows did. I wanted to hear them. And they all offered one thing, and they, they turned to the guy who posed the question, who was the most senior minister there, and they said, What do you think is the hardest thing? He said, Well, I've heard everything you said. And he said, it's true that some of those subjects are difficult for people to grasp and understand. But he said, the single most difficult thing that people have, that I have to teach people, the single most difficult thing that they struggle to accept is that God truly loves them the way they are. I want to I want to set some stuff straight. And whenever we start the new year, just look at your neighbor and say, You are going to have to run fast to catch up with me. Amen. (laughs) Amen. Because I'm getting ready some stuff that's holding me back. Father, today I thank you for your word. Speak to us revelatory life. Open your word to our understanding. Transform us by the truth and the principles of your word that is forever settled in heaven. I pray that we will not just be able to understand and grasp these things mentally, but from the very depths of our heart, that through that process of the anointing that breaks every yoke, these words will become a vital part of our lives, restructuring our thoughts, our thinking, and even our relationship with you. The more we move towards standing on the solid foundation of your word, the more we become who you called us to be and we were destined to be to begin with, and the happier we are. We acknowledge you as Lord of all. We honor you today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. What do I mean by soul detox? Look at this verse in the NIV. Above all else, guard your heart. Prioritize this as the number one issue because out of your heart will flow everything you do. Why guard your heart? The inference is that if you're not guarding your heart, some stuff might get in it that's going to affect what's coming out of you. I like the way the New King James states this. It said, keep your heart with all diligence, which means rapt attention, unwavering focus. For out of it spring the issues of life. Spring the issues of life. The word spring conveys the idea of something being under pressure, doesn't it? You have a spring, you compress and let it go. It releases and bounces once the pressure is released. The energy stored in that cold spring causes it to to fly across a room. I think of a spring of water. What we call a spring is not oftentimes not a spring at all. It's a creek, a tributary. A spring, a true spring, actually gets its name from this sense of pressure. It's water that is under the ground, that is under so much pressure that it comes to the surface on its own. You see, the typical body of water, whether that's a bayou, a river, or even the ocean, a lake, or the ocean will always comply with the effect that gravity exerts upon a fluid that is to say it will always seek its lowest level it's uh, not a solid and because it is liquid and it is affected by gravity it is pulled down to the lowest level not a spring it because of the pressure that is upon the water under the surface it forces its way to the top and becomes a continuous flow and What this scripture is saying is that you need to keep your heart because if you're not careful, some stuff can get in that can put you under pressure and will force some things to keep coming to the surface in your life. Wow, is that insightful. How many people do you know, and it could even describe us at times, that life goes on for a while well and then suddenly out of nowhere something comes to the surface? We keep torpedoing sometimes our own tomorrows, making decisions that negatively affect us and worse, hurt those that we love. What this is that he's talking about getting into your heart, that you need to guard your heart from having been tampered with by uh, these things or the toxins I want to talk about today. You live life in a fallen world And toxins can get inside and fester and put you under pressure. We often don't even realize as believers that with God's help, we don't have to live with this pressure the rest of our lives. We don't. God wants to free us from that. We often don't even know we can get free from it. And so the problem is we don't find a way to get rid of it. Just like that spring, somewhere it makes its way to the surface in our life and things pop up to the top we do things we make decisions we hurt ourselves we hurt those we love the most and our most vital relationships are affected the most vital is our relationship with God that stuff on the inside making its way to the surface even affects that relationship our relationship with God not a truly experienced elevation that is lasting and meaningful I believe you need to deal with whatever this is that's on the inside that's causing all this pressure. Our soul literally needs to be detoxed. If these negative forces I can tell you this much, if these negative forces within us are not dealt with, they will continue to surface. I bet you they will. You can put a manhole on that cover, a hole cover on that, that, that hole if you want to, but it's going to come blowing off sooner or later. If something's going to spring up from down in there, you just can't cover it up and expect it to go away. Things will continue to surface in your emotions, your thoughts, your decisions, your behavior, your relationships that are self-destructive and harmful, not only to you, but as I said to others around you. These toxins that I'm talking about are interesting because the Greek word from which we get the word toxin is actually toxikon, and um, it's an interesting word. It literally means... For an archer to take a poison arrow and aim it at a target, dips the arrow in poison, aims it at a target, and shoots it toward its target. That's where the word or the idea toxin comes from. It's a poison arrow. And man, that's insightful. Now, I'm all the time in Africa, and they use a lot of poisoned arrows over there, still do. They just killed a big elephant the other day in Kenya with uh, poison arrows. And I used to, when I came back uh, uh, from Africa for the first times uh, that we were traveling over there so often, I'd been there before, but made it a regular practice to go there and come back training ministries. Different ones wanted, you know, artifacts, souvenirs, some of them uh, actually antiques. And they would ask me to bring back old spears or bows and arrows, and that fascinated me anyway, you know, and... and. Um, the Maasai warriors, is incredible. These guys are tall and lean and, and they're the Maasai Moran, M-O-R-A-N. These guys are brave like you can't believe, I'm telling you. Their rite of passage used to be that when they would, were going to become a man, their tribe sent them out to kill a lion. I'm not talking about that lion over there with me and my rifle over here. I'm talking about that line right here with my panga, my little machete in my hand. I'm not talking about that line way, way over. Y'all see that line on the other side of that hill? No, I'm talking about that line right here. That's brave, buddy. (laughs) 450-pound line, you're going to face it right in the eye and go after it with just your spear and your panga. Mm. And uh, they have a tree that grows in East Africa, and it's... And the and the and the Maasai word is the red one. That's what it means. The red one. That's all it is. And they also call their warriors the red ones. The Morans. They they put red dyeing clay in their hair, and they wear clothes that are that are red. And these young men do. And um, that red tree produces a very toxic poison. The leaves and the berries are used collected boiled and reduced down and put on the ends of those arrows and they brought down an elephant with it in one of the game preserves just the other day and this is exactly the picture that god's word describes our enemy as using against us poison arrows ephesians 6 and 16 above all taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all The fiery darts of the wicked one. The wicked one is shooting arrows at every person's heart. And these arrows are not ordinary arrows. They're poisonous arrows. And that's the very word from which we get the word toxic or toxin. The Greek word is toxikon. It means a poisoned arrow. The enemy is trying to shoot poisoned arrows into your life. And the way that a poison works is once it gets into your, your body, you know, through an arrow or some other means of being introduced to your body, the circulatory system begins to spread it through your, out your body. And after a while, the effects. And neurological poison, for example, you can't breathe. You, you become paralyzed. You die. Uh, for example, the black mamba snake, that's a neurological poison. You get bit, shut your breathing down. You can't breathe. You suffer You, you sm- suffocate. And just everything shuts down. I'm talking about some deadly stuff that exists over there. And you need to know that in the spirit dimension that there is an enemy and he's called the wicked one and he's shooting poison arrows at you hoping to contaminate, let's say this, your system. Now, the circulatory system is managed by the heart that is that that organ the size of a fist in the center of your chest. And here the scripture has said that I read to you earlier, guard your heart for out of it flow or spring the issues of life. The things you will do the heart in the bible is more than just the organ that's at the center of your circulatory system the heart in the bible when it spoke of your heart it meant your thoughts it meant your intellect your will it meant your emotions all of those things are in the concept of the heart and so when we talk about detoxifying we're talking about getting rid of the poisons that are circulating in us because we got struck by an arrow somewhere and everybody gets struck by arrows. You don't live in this life without the enemy shooting at you. Now, tragically, we have come to believe that our life, our values, is determined by a lot of things. Who you are isn't determined by your wealth, though. Not determined by your title or your status in society. Who you are, listen closely, is decided by the thoughts you think and the decisions you make. That decides who you really are. Now, people have it backwards. They think if I can be successful and make it big and make a lot of money and make it to the top and get well known, then I will live a happy life. I'm unhappy now, and when all this stuff comes, I will change my thinking because I've got this stuff, and I will now be happy. And the more science looks at the effects of your thoughts, they have found that the more we need to understand that thoughts are determining what happens in your life, not what happens in your life determining your thoughts. If you're waiting to get wealthy, successful, and well-known to be happy, you got to change your thoughts before that will ever occur. We have it backwards. We want that to occur, and then we think we can change the way we think. Now, to detox is short for detoxify, and it means to remove the poisons from something. On occasion, you're going to find that your soul needs to go through detox to remove the toxins or the poisons or the arrows that the enemy has shot into your life. And if you have wounds that affect, that affect you in the area of your thought, your will, or your emotions, this series is going to be about how to help you get rid of those. The good news is, though, and I'm going to say it, praise God, hallelujah, you don't have to live with this stuff the rest of your life. Amen. But you also need one thing that is vital and important. You need the ability to make an honest assessment of of what you're doing right now. Your thoughts, what's going on inside. You have to be able to correctly diagnose whether your thoughts are, 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 are healthy whether your statements are healthy, whether your thinking, so forth. If it's not, you have to be able to acknowledge that it's not or you won't ever get help. Self-diagnosis is important, the ability to be able to diagnose something. Now, Pastor Donnie sent me a a Boudreaux joke this week, and I loved it. I said, you going to use it? He said, no. I said, well, I will then, (laughs) amen. (laughs) And I'm from Louisiana. I can get by with all that. And, And so Boudreaux, appeared to be drunk he's in a movie theater and he sprawled across three seats Uh, and that theater and when the usher came by and noticed him he leaned over whispered and said sorry sir but you're only allowed one seat Boudreaux groaned and didn't budge and the usher thought he was drunk and uh, the usher became more impatient and said sir if you don't get up from there I'm gonna have to call the manager and Boudreaux just groaned and still laid sprawled across three seats so the usher marched briskly back up the aisle, and in a moment he returned with the manager, and together the two of them tried repeatedly to move Boudreaux, but he just groaned and wouldn't move, and they finally went and summoned the police. And the policeman came in and surveyed the situation, and he said, all right, Sha, what's your name? And he said, my name done be Boudreaux. And he said, well Sha, I, I'm Cajun too, and Boudreaux, where you come from? And Boudreaux, who was sprawled across three seats groaning, just pointed one finger up and said, The balcony? (laughs) I'm groaning because I went through something. You hear what I'm saying? Amen. So let's begin. We've all been through something. We've heard of all of our lives a statement that I'm going to challenge. All of our lives we've heard this statement, what you don't know can't hurt you. How many of you believe that's the truth? There's never been a bigger lie told on the face of this planet than what you don't know can hurt you. It not only can hurt you, it can mess you up. Many people don't know they're getting ready to get in an accident. Does that spare them from getting hurt? No. no. I remember when I was just a little guy being raised in Lake Charles, outside Lake Charles. My dad was an instrument technician. He was the electrical and instrumentation technician for Olin Matheson, what it used to be called in those days. And they had a hydrazine plant. Anybody ever heard of hydrazine? Let me just ask you that. Amen. Some, I actually see some hands. I, I bet we, we have similar backgrounds somewhere. Amen. My dad worked in the hydrazine plant. They were on 12-hour shifts. Now, hydrazine, for those of you that don't know, is, a, is an ingredient used in creating rocket fuel. It's used by both NASA, and it's also used uh, by uh, commercial Uh, space exploration type uh, ventures and companies and it's used by the u.s. military it's what fires intercontinental ballistic missiles it's what they use to send a weather satellite a spy satellite out into outer space jupiter uh the is am i saying the name of that that space launch thing they sent way out there years ago that all of that's fueled by hydrazine it's rocket fuel it's extremely dangerous very unstable left at room temperature under normal circumstances it will immediately explode that's how unstable it is to be able to work with hydrazine you have to dilute it way way down to keep it from exploding in this enclosed system in the production facility in uh, Lake Charles they were producing batches of hydrazine for the US missile program and also for the launching of the the different uh, space programs that we were attempting all of those things from moon launches to satellites and everything else. All of that was coming right out of Lake Charles. And uh, sometimes a batch would not cook right. And so what they would do is they would dump it, the engineers, the operators would dump it if something wasn't right and then they would calculate what ingredients were in this batch and they would start a new batch by adding some other ingredients. And they would reprocess what they had gone through this is really what happened what they did not know was every time they did that an unknown chemical that they had not found was being created that was even more explosive than the hydrazine and so after this this unknown chemical started building up in their system and they didn't know it was there one night late at night my dad fortunately was on the day shift then We lived at least 15 miles away. We were awakened by an explosion so loud that it shook our house. The plant had blown up. And the reason it did was because that chemical that they didn't know was there was building up the whole time. And uh, there were several people killed. I think a couple of people were killed. And um, I learned right then and there that, you know, my dad working there, he could have been one of those that died. What you don't know can hurt you real bad. And I won't tell you, I've seen people go through stuff and stuff start building up on the inside. They don't know it's there. Oh, come on, get real with me. You think you're processing it and stuff, you know, there's, there's something poisonous building up that's about to explode. I look at Jacob, and I'm going to use Jacob a lot in this series, because Jacob to me is the poster child for someone who is raised with, with the need to have his soul detoxed. Jacob struggled with toxic thoughts and feelings his entire life, and we'll get into why, too, because you'll find out he was raised in a very dysfunctional way. His father doted upon Jacob's brother, who was only older by minutes, Esau. He was twin to Esau, but for some reason, Daddy loved Esau, and Jacob didn't care much for The mother felt extraordinary pity and sympathy for Jacob because he was like the Forgive me for saying this, like the runt of the litter. If the, if I, I use those phrases, that phrase purposefully to show you the way that Isaac treated Jacob. And so the father did not show both sons equal respect. And the mother stepped in with, with pity and sympathy. And I won't tell you the one thing you don't ever want to do is you don't want to raise a child with pity. Oh, I need a better amen than that. I don't care what your child's got going on, if he's crippled, if he's not athletic. uh, I don't care what's happening. You make that child proud to be who he is. You don't let him grow up with shame. Amen. But Jacob grew up with shame. Isn't it amazing? Because when you look at Jacob, there are very few, if any, other people in the Bible that were blessed as much as Jacob was blessed. And I'm not just saying that. It was extraordinary how much he was blessed. He got a birthright that didn't belong to him, got a blessing he wasn't supposed to have. He became fabulously wealthy. He became a patriarch when it sh- God should have been the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But he wasn't. He chose Jacob. He had a personal... Audience with the, uh, the leader, the Pharaoh, who was leader of the greatest empire in the world. Not only that, one of his boys got elevated to be second in command of that empire. He got moved to the wealthiest section of Egypt, Goshen. That would be like, you know, you get moved to River Oaks or something, you know. This guy was blessed like you could not believe he was blessed. And yet he always felt his life was a life of pain and trouble. Isn't it amazing that someone can be living a life that everybody else envies and they don't even see how good their life is because they're dying on the inside. Mm. Come on, help me out now. Frederick Langbridge once said, Two men looked out through prison bars. One saw mud, the other saw stars. Same sale. And we have such different perspectives in life. An example of how deeply the, toxin of poison, uh, the poison of toxic thoughts and emotions had gotten into Jacob's heart. I want you to look at what God happened, or what happened rather, when God changed his name from Jacob to Israel. Now, to give you a little background, Jacob, well, you may name your child Jacob. That's a Hebrew word that doesn't necessarily have the best meaning. Now it's fully accepted. Don't feel bad about naming any child Jacob. It's a great name. But in those days, Look, show me how many Jacobs existed before he did. Get your Bible concordance out and see if you can find them. The word meant supplanter or heel grabber. It was like saying, you little thief, you. Because I told you he was a twin. His brother was born just minutes before him. And when his brother was born, Jacob was being born, reached out and grabbed his brother by the heel like, I got you. And so they said, look at that cute little heel grabber, that cute little thief used after his brother. But watch that guy. And that's how he got his name. Jacob grew up wounded on the inside because of the dimensions and dynamics of the relationships that I just referred to with his father and his mother. Father never noticed him, neglected by his dad, and pitied by his mother. He grew up shamed. And he met God in Genesis 32 and 28. He wrestled with God, and this is what God said. Your name shall no longer. Everybody say no longer. No longer. You know what that means? It means it's ended right here. will no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. Now, you can't fully appreciate this until now, having learned what Jacob means, you need to know what the word Israel means. It means prince. You're not a little thief or a heel grabber. You're a prince is what God said. And never again are you to call yourself Jacob. Your name will no more be called Jacob but prince for you have struggled with God and with men and you have prevailed. You've struggled your whole life. Now listen to this. This is amazing. God saw him as a prince. Jacob saw himself as Jacob. God saw him as Israel. Jacob saw himself as that little heel grabber. All right. Now, did he accept what God called him? Two verses later, Genesis thirty-two thirty. this is after God changed his name and said, you'll never be called Jacob again. He called the name of the, Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for he said, I've seen God face to face in my life. It's preserved. Wait a minute. God just told you two verses before you're not called Jacob anymore. You see, God can say all of this great stuff about you that he sees he created in you. But what's on the inside can keep you from accepting the reality of what God has spoken over your life. Oh, I'm I'm gonna preach. I'm gonna walk down in the middle of it here. Amen, amen. And so he continues to see himself as this boy That is ignored by his father. The heel grabber. Very next chapter after this encounter with God. And God changes his name. Notice how the chapter begins in Genesis 33 and 1. This is the very next chapter. Now Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked. What? That's a second time in just a matter of a few verses. Where he's still calling himself Jacob. Amen. Instead of Israel. God as a result of that. After he changed his name in Genesis 32 and sees that Jacob is still calling himself Jacob rather than Israel. At the end of chapter 32 in Genesis 31 and again in 34, he comes back to Jacob again in chapter 35. Verses 9 and 10. Then God appeared to Jacob again. Oh, who? Jacob. Jacob. When he came from Padan Aram and blessed him and God said to him, notice, your name is Jacob. Your name shall not be called Jacob. I changed it once. I already told you you're not Jacob anymore, but you're still going around flashing a driver's license with Jacob written on. I've done told you that's not who you are. And I'm telling you again, you will no more be called Jacob. But prince or Israel shall be your name. And God called him Israel. Amen. You think that resolved it even after God confronts him again to tell him that he is no longer Jacob. In the very next verse very next verse that's genesis 35 and 10 look at the very next verses beginning in genesis 35 and 15 read this then god went up from him this is as soon as the conversation ended god went up from him where he talked with him so next verse jacob (laughs) set up a pillar you just can't seem to get anything through some people's heads can you amen Not saying that disrespectfully because they got this stuff springing out of them. There's something circulating a toxin in the system that hasn't been diagnosed yet. And what you don't know really does hurt you. Hello. In verse 15, and Jacob called the place where God spoke with him Bethel. He's still calling himself Jacob. In fact, Jacob doesn't even begin to used the name Israel for the first time until Genesis 37 and it's strange what happened in Genesis 37 do you know that he didn't use the name Israel to refer to himself until after his daddy died in Genesis 37 is that significant and does that give you any insight into why the imprint imprinting of Jacob was so strong in his spirit His daddy had to die before he could finally start calling himself Israel. And even then, this stuff gets so deep inside of you that let something bad happen. And you think you've moved on from this. But let something bad happen, and you get knocked right back into the same rut you were in before. It's called recividation. What happens is, Whenever everything's going good, you climb out. Oh, I got a word from God. I'm, I'm not Jacob anymore. I'm Israel. Hallelujah. Hell, I'm Israel. Praise God. I feel it. I'm a prince. Amen. And then something bad happens and next day, hello, I'm Jacob. You fall back into this rut of thought. Amen. In times of difficulty and stress, he recividated and reverted back to Jacob. Look at this, because it's in Genesis, as I said, 37, that he calls himself Israel. But then something else happens. They bring him news. Mm, am I preaching right now? Help me out, somebody. Amen. They bring him news that, that his son, Joseph, has been killed by a wild beast. Now it was a lie because his boys, his other brothers, had sold Joseph into slavery in Egypt. But that old man sitting at home thinks his boy is dead because they took his coat and they put some blood on it from an animal they killed. And you know what it says in Genesis 37 and 34? Look at this. Then Jacob tore his clothes. He goes from being Israel when things are going good, to the first time bad things happen, he's Jacob all over again. Because it knocked him right back in the same hole. Am I preaching to somebody right now? As long as you're doing good and got a good job and everything's okay, you're Israel. But let there be a Jacob, or rather, let there be a layoff, and you you feel like Jacob again. And God forgot about you, and God doesn't know you. And get a raise, and everything's fine. Then you start having a little difficulty, and you get a bad diagnosis, makes you concerned, and they order additional testing, and it could look pretty bad, and and all of a sudden you're not Israel anymore. Now you're Jacob again. God, what did I do? I see it happen with parents and their children i see it happen when people go through financial reversals i see it happen when they go through marital difficulties and relational problems and i see it happen when they go through health issues and and when things in our ministry start turning a little bit sour because you're going through a a testing and a shifting a sifting time which is vital to you becoming who god ultimately wants you to become But instead of you seeing the purposes of God at work in your life, you start questioning your identity. Who am I? I'm not Israel anymore. God doesn't like me any longer. Oh, come on, help me right now. During the famine that came to the Middle East that threatened his family, he called himself Jacob again. Genesis 42 and 1 through 2, when Jacob saw there was grain in Egypt, Jacob said to his son, Why do you look on one another? Go to get grain in Egypt. And then after he was safely established, after he sends his boys to Egypt and to buy grain and, and the whole story evolves and he has to go because Joseph, who is who is really the head now, of this whole distribution program and second in command in Egypt, recognizes those are his brothers and said, You have a younger brother? And I said, Yeah, Benjamin I said, Bring him to me. And finally Joseph ends up making the whole family come. And he reveals himself to his brothers, and they go back and tell their old daddy, Jacob, Joseph is alive, and you know what happens? Joseph sends camels bearing gifts and moves Jacob in the middle of a famine to the land of Goshen where he can have plenty, moves him to River Oats, amen. I'm, I'm talking right now and getting real where some of us have, have lived in terms of our lives, and do you know what it said? He stopped calling himself Jacob. Genesis 47 and 27, so Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen. Long as things are going good, I'm Israel. As long as they're going bad, I'm Jacob. As long as everything's okay, then I know God loves me. When I'm walking through a test, I'm doubting who I am. I'm doubting my identity. Why? Because I've been programmed with all of this toxicity on the inside. And I'm here to tell you something god wants to set some people free god wants to deliver some people god wants you to move from joy to joy and happiness to happiness god wants you to spend the rest of your life regardless of circumstances amen enjoying life and speaking about that you don't want to miss tonight because i will be speaking we're not going to have a long service Short worship service. I'm going to preach only a few minutes. Tonight is Holy Spirit Encounter Night. You don't have the Holy Ghost, you come. You've never received it, you come. And look, we're not going to let anybody, you know where, and toxic religion turns all of this stuff the wrong way. Let me just real get down, really get down to where this thing is at. You know, uh, people always say, well, do I have to have it to go to heaven? and I I look at them and I say, what are you talking about? God offers to come and live inside of you and baptize you with his Holy Spirit and you're worried about what do I have to have? Is it necessary? Look, I want all of him I can get. Let's forget all of that denominational stuff and just seek after God. You don't have the Holy Spirit come tonight. You need a miracle come tonight. That's what the purpose of these services are for. Amen. So how many of us live lives that are just like Jacob? As long as everything's going good, we're Israel. When things go bad, we doubt our identity. We doubt God's promises to us. We start calling ourselves Jacob again. We carry toxins. Next week, and I'm already done. Next week, I'm going to talk about flushing the junk. The toxic thoughts. Toxic thoughts that got hung up here that are responsible for all of that. Because here's the way it works. Your thoughts lead to emotions. Emotions don't lead to thoughts. It's thoughts lead to emotions. You're carrying around too much emotion you don't need to have that's negative. And the way you fix that is you change the way you're thinking. Tell somebody, I'm getting ready to flush the junk. Would you do it right now? I'm going to flush the junk. I'm going to be blessed. Would you stand with me? I really am done. Amen. I want our prayer counselors to come. And while they're coming, I want to ask you four life application questions. Ask yourself this question. Do you find that you seem to keep doing or saying things that bring pain to either yourself or those around you? Amen. Do you find that when you live, it just every once in a while springs out of you, you don't know where it comes from. Words you shouldn't say, something you do. you shoot yourself in the foot. You know Have you experienced that in your life? That's question number one. You don't have to answer it in front of everybody right now. Trust me, your wife is standing next to you going. That's a joke, not really. So my husband looked over at his wife like, what? No, I'm, I'm, cho- I'm joking. Number two, if you were to create two lists, one that contained the blessings that you have had in your life and the other, the sorrows and disappointments, which list would be the greatest? Which list would be the longest? Are you like Jacob who was blessed maybe more than anybody else in the entire Old Testament? But still, don't see it. I close by pointing out to you what Jacob said when he appeared before Pharaoh. Genesis 47 and 9, when Joseph moved into Goshen, he brought him for a personal audience with Pharaoh. Now, that's not some small thing. Pharaoh is the leader of the largest empire, greatest in the world. And Pharaoh looked at this old man and said, How old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. How can you say after everything God has done for you that your days have been few and evil? The NIV says few and difficult. Man, you've been blessed like nobody. I'll trade places with you. hello so if you were to create two lists which would be the longest number three which do you think about the most your blessings or your sorrows and disappointments and question number four and we'll deal with some of this next week why 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 do you think about one more than the other why do you think about problems more than blessing I'm opening the altar I'd like for us all to come because I want to pray for you here today balcony, ground floor let's conclude the service here right now and there's going to be incredible healing you know what is really sad I told you that Isaac treated Jacob terrible let me tell you something. You know where he learned that from? We have this Im- impure picture of the people of the Bible. We think they were all perfect. I'll tell you where he got it from. He got it from his daddy Abraham. Because Abraham had two boys too. And he treated one different than the other. You say, but one of them God didn't want there. I, that's exactly right. He made, he, the, to show you the family was dysfunctional to begin with, God promised him a child, and Abraham and Sarah hadn't had one yet, and they're sitting around talking about it. And Sarah says, well, I tell you what you can do, Daddy. I got this cute little 16 year old maid. You can go into her, you know, and have a. My wife in a million years would never be telling me to do that. And Abraham said, Well, I really don't want to, Mama, but if you insist, I guess you know. They had a dysfunctional family, is what I'm trying to tell you. And dysfunction creates more dysfunction. Father, I pray right now that you will heal us from within. Sometimes we're so concerned about the wounds we carry on the outside that we fail to realize that the biggest ones may be the ones that nobody can even see.